Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the Highlight Factory Studios to talk to you about some Atlanta Hawks basketball and to answer the question, what in the world happened to Trey Young against the Miami Heat? If you're new to the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us, tideronsports at gmail.com. So if you're wondering why this podcast is a week late, it's because when the Hawks series against the Heat ended about a week and a half ago, we were deep in the middle of NFL draft prep, and being as this is my side hustle doing this podcast, I did not have enough time to prep a quality podcast to cover both what happened to Trey Young in the NBA playoffs and the pending NFL draft for the Atlanta Falcons. So we covered the Falcons draft last week since it was the hottest topic in the city, and we are circling back around to cover Trey Young's series against the Miami Heat right now. And... To say that Trey Young had a bad series feels like too gross of an understatement to really do justice to how he played. He had a abysmal, catastrophic, awful, horrific, just any negative adjective you can think of would be fitting to describe how badly Trey played in this series. This is the worst Trey's looked since the first two months of his rookie year. If you remember that two-month period where he was shooting like 18% from three. He couldn't take care of the basketball. He was getting shots blocked left and right. If you remember his first couple games in Summer League, this was the worst I've seen Trey Young as a professional basketball player since the first two months he ever played in the NBA. It was that bad. And when I went back and looked at what happened, looked at the stats, I really came up with five reasons why it happened and what Miami did to make it happen. And before we get to those five things, just to give you a few highlights about how bad Trey was, for this five-game series, he averaged 15 points per game. He had an offensive rating of 83. During the season, his offensive rating was in the one teens, usually somewhere around 114. It was 83. He had a player efficiency rating of 5.1 after having a player efficiency rating of 25 during the season. He shot 32% from the field, 18% from three, averaged 6.2 turnovers per game, and had more total turnovers for the series than assists and more total turnovers for the series than field goals. It was a very, very bad week and a half for Trey Young. Trey was asked after the series if this was the best he's been defended, and He gave what I thought was a really perfect answer, essentially saying, you know, look at the numbers. They kind of indicate that it is. He said, but this is a chance for me to grow and get better. And the next time I'm faced with this kind of challenge and being defended this way, I'll be better. And that's really all you can ask for. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't try to defend his poor play, which Lord knows he couldn't. (laughs) I mean, even an injury, which we don't think he had, but even an injury wouldn't account for him being as bad as he was. But... There were some things that Miami did that were unique that were unique to their personnel that aren't probably easily duplicated by many teams in the NBA. And I want to give you a quick inside look at some things that I noticed. And the truth is, a lot of teams have tried to use these strategies against Trey with varying levels of success. But Miami's probably the first team to be able to put them all together, combined with Trey just truthfully making some poor plays on his own. So 
The very first thing that Miami did to slow down Trey was consistent ball pressure. Trey never touched the ball in this series without someone in his shirt. They're picking him up 94 feet, causing him to waste a lot of times anywhere between six to eight seconds on the shot clock. There are times Trey got the ball over just being the eight-second count, and now Atlanta's burned a third of the shot clock. You make three passes and you're already in the end of the shot clock management with five or six seconds left having to take a heave or a bad contested jump shot. They did this consistently. And then the times he did not bring the ball up, once he crossed half court, his primary defender, who was usually Kyle Lowry or Troy Vincent, was glued to him. And one of the things that you saw was this forced Trey into multiple ball handling turnovers from lost dribbles. It's something you just don't see from him. So just so you understand, during the entire 73 games that he played in the regular season, Trey had 54 what they call lost ball turnovers, which means not a bad pass, not like a tipped pass, but like he just lost the ball, like dribbled off his foot, tipped away, whatever. He had nine in five games against Miami. So by comparison, on the season, he averaged 0.73 lost ball turnovers per game. Against Miami, he averaged 1.8 lost ball turnovers a game. And there was one point in game five where I think it was Gabe Vincent just took his cookies. I mean, just straight up took Trey's dribble. I was like, it just showed that Trey was all kinds of levels of shook playing against this defense and this aggressive pressure, which is something we've seen teams do a ton against him. You've seen teams like the Hornets do it in the first half um, against him. Now, granted, most teams pressure him by sending a trap at him when he crosses that court, and the Hawks have been really good at beating traps with their secondary playmakers like Kevin Herter and Bogdan Bogdanovich making really good passers to the other open players and those players knocking down shots. But Miami was able to generate the same kind of pressure with one person being committed to Trey the entire time. And Trey was not able to beat people off the dribble, which was something that, again, you just don't see. And part of the reason for that is that while most teams have either a really good offensive point guard or a really good defensive point guard, for example, looking at the Hawks, Trey is a really good offensive point guard. And when DeLon Wright, his primary backup, he's a really good defensive point guard. Most teams don't have a guy that can knock down three-point shots like Gabe Vincent, who was a shooting guard in college, but is also a really good defender, or Kyle Lowry, who was a former all-star point guard, who is really good at defense. And then Kyle Lowry gets hurt, you think you're getting a break, and they dust off a former all-NBA defender in Victor Oladipo, and he comes out and does the same thing. So the point being, there was no drop-off. There aren't a lot of teams other than maybe the Chicago Bulls that have like two or three guys that can lock down a really quick point guard, and they have Alonzo Ball and Elmer Fudd himself, Alex Caruso. So that itself was unique in the fact that the Heat had both Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry, who were very good defenders and can stay in front of Trey. Now, typically, the counter to somebody that is providing really good ball pressure is ball screens. And this was the second thing that the Heat did really well. They aren't the first team to do this really well, but they did this really well in addition to the ball pressure. They were excellent, superb in their switching. And so when you look at the Heat, a lot of teams have athletic wings like they do, but how many teams can get away with constantly switching their center, Bam, Bam Adebayo, and their power forward on a trade? Even a great defensive team like Milwaukee or a great defensive team like Boston can't get away with that because while Robert Williams is a great rim protector 
if you switch him on a Trey, he is not going to be able to consistently stay in front of Trey. The same thing out in Utah with Rudy Gobert. He cannot consistently stay in front of really elitely quick wings. Milwaukee, Giannis can stay in front of a quick ball handler like Trey, but they have to play drop coverage with Brooke Lopez because he can't stay in front of an elitely quick guard like Trey. So a lot of teams like even the Philadelphia 76ers in last year's playoffs, who again have a great defensive center and good defensive wings, they are not great defensively at power forward at Tobias Harris. So the counter is when teams run a lot of pick and roll with them, they'll play drop coverage for their center, let him clog the paint, take away the lob, and then Trey will kill them with floaters. Against Miami, Bam Adebayo would simply step out on the screens, on the switches, and keep Trey from penetrating. And when he wasn't doing it, it was P.J. Tucker. So you had two two All-NBA defenders out there guarding Trey with the switches, and he couldn't beat it. And again, I don't know many teams in the NBA that could get away with doing that. So that's just such a unique challenge that the Heat present. One of the reasons they're going to be really hard to put out of these playoffs if they hit their threes. And then the third thing that we saw is that in the cases where Trey was able to get past the first guy, the Heat would clog the lane with bodies and bodies and bodies. Long, athletic wings, or Bam Adebayo himself, down in the paint, making it nearly impossible for Trey to get good shots. So the times that Trey was able to get by one of the lesser defensive wings like Struess or Hero, there just wasn't any room for him to operate at the rim. So Trey shot just 38% in the restricted area as opposed to 62% from that same area of the court during the season. Huge difference. Huge difference. The last thing that the Heat did to really take away Trey was their weak side rotations. When Trey drove into a clogged lane, what we've become so accustomed to seeing him do as Hawks fans is kick to open shooters. What the Heat do is they what the Heat do is that they have very disciplined rotations. They know how to position themselves on the weak side. So when Trey beats the main defender on him, let's say it's Duncan Robinson. The Heat then have someone lead their man to come and help, and the guys on the weak side, away from where the ball is, are then left to cover usually two on three. So they have to position themselves where they can rotate to both of the players that are in their zone if the ball swung that way, and they are elite at it. They rotate with effort and efficiency, and their length on guys like Caleb Martin and guys like Jimmy Butler allows them to bother and contest shots that would be open looks against most teams because a lot of teams just aren't going to put in the effort to rotate like that. And when they do, they don't have the athleticism or length to get there and bother the shots. The Heat do, and on top of that, they were absolute demons in the passing lanes. When Trey drove, the weak side defenders stood in positions where they could be in the passing lanes, and they, in a lot of cases, knew who Trey was going to throw the ball to. The result was that a Hawks team that averaged – 11.9 turnovers per game in the regular season, the lowest number in the NBA, averaged 20 per game in this playoffs. So the Heat forced nearly double the number of turnovers the Hawks normally have because of their ability to A, clog the paint, take away lob threats, which Trey at times did try to force, and to clog passing lanes with their length and their strong, strong weak side rotations. The last observation I had isn't really something Miami did, but it's something that 
very much affected the outcome of this series, and it's the fact that Trey Young just missed a lot of shots. He struggled with his shot. He took a ton of long-contested threes into the shot clock and didn't make them, but Trey Young is a shot maker, and generally, over the course of five games, he may have one or two games where he shoots poorly, and he's going to have three games where he hits seven out of 12 or five out of 11, and it just never happened. He shot 18% from three in that series after a career-high 38% during the season, and what was really interesting, and this really showed me how much Trey was struggling, was that he regressed from the free throw line 78% from the free throw line, 78.8 to be exact, after shooting a career high 90% this season. The Heat's defense is stellar, but it's also true that Trey simply missed a lot of shots that over the course of a series he would normally make. And some of them were shots that you can't even attest to length or anything. He some of his long daggers that he always throws up and they're not high percentage shots but they're shots that he makes at a higher level than most players just none of those are going in the only one I can think of is the one he hit in the game three win which was honestly a horrible shot but he nails that and it just one or a lot of those daggers or momentum killers or momentum builders in this series Trey simply shot poorly and even missed free throws at important times which is something that again the numbers say he just doesn't do. And, of course, Trey wasn't the only one to blame. Bogdanovich was up and down. Herter was up and down. Capella's injury didn't help. John Collins played his heart out but didn't shoot particularly well. Bogdanovich missed the last game with an injury. There was a lot of other things going on. I think the one bright spot for Hawks fans was that DeAndre Hunter was very, very good almost the entire series when he wasn't in foul trouble. And that was something to build on. But I want to close by saying this. This was a bad playoff performance for Trey, but there's still hope. And a lot of good and even great players have run into similar walls in the playoffs. And again, we're talking about Trey as someone that had a lot of playoff success last year against elite defenses, scoring, what, 45 points in the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals against the eventual NBA champions. He can score against good defenses. But sometimes there are teams that come up with a great plan to stop great players. Well, let's just go back to 2018 with Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers against the New Orleans Pelicans. The Trailblazers had made five straight playoff appearances. They'd won two playoff series in Dame's time there. And this was a year when they got that top three seed. It was supposed to be the year they finally were able to break through that second round playoff ceiling. And... Instead of breaking through that playoff barrier, Dame averaged a career low, 18 points, 4 turnovers, and 4.8 assists, shot 35% from the field and 30% from three. Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo embarrassed him. Four-game sweep for the sixth seed over the four seed. And what was interesting in that the really big difference in how they defended him was ball pressure and switchability because they played some guy at the five named Anthony Davis who happened to be one of the most switchable bigs in the NBA and could step out and guard them on the perimeter when they used ball screens. Sound familiar? So this was an enormous stain on Dame's legacy as he had just put together an all-NBA season and then he gets swept out of the first round for the second straight year as a three seed. Now, where's the hope? The very next year, Dave hits that famous 38-footer in OKC to send them home, and the Blazers made the conference finals. Great players grow from experiences like this, and 
As Hawks fans, we can only hope and pray that this is the next step in Trey's evolution. This has been Dave Bethay from the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.